Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour or more while we go over a big weekend of racing. Uh, before we do that, I want to introduce you to the panel. Uh, before I tell you who's in the studio with me, I want to let you know that. Uh, our good friend Gray Warren um, is not with us tonight. He uh, had a death in the family, and we just uh, want to let you know, Gray. I know you'll probably be listening, but um, uh, you know our heart aches for you. Um, each and every one of us is keeping um, your family in our thoughts and in our prayers. Uh, so I uh, hope to have you back on next week, Gray, and um, good luck to you. And um, so with no further ado, I've got Richard Uden in the house with me. Richard, how are you? I'm very good. Yourself? Excellent, excellent. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, uh, Seth Eggert um, from uh, Motorsports Tribune, NASCAR correspondent and follower of Grassroots Late Model Racing. Seth is in the house. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good. All right. Christopher DeHardy, back from a weekend at the Iowa Corn 300. How are you? Doing well. Wanted to say hello to Gray, and I hope... Um He's doing okay in this tough time he's going through. Uh, love you, man. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, kind of weird doing the show without Gray, but, uh, you know, the show must go on. So, a big weekend of racing. We had um, all three major series were um, in action this weekend. We had three winners who all dominated their um, respective races. Martin Truex uh, killed the field at Kentucky. Uh, Valtteri Boltas. Um, led from the get-go in Austria, and Elio Castroneves led the bulk of the laps en route to a win at Iowa, his first win since 2014. But before we get into the racing action, there's been a lot of off-track um, stories to report on, a lot of silly season stuff, and, and starting with uh, Matt Kenseth, who dropped the bombshell in Kentucky in the media center Thursday that he was likely out of a job with uh, Joe Gibbs Motorsport, or Joe Gibbs Racing, rather, uh, next year, uh, that kind of forced the team's hand to go ahead and make the announcement that uh, Eric Jones would be in the number 20 car um, next year. So, um, you know, good for him. Where Kenseth ends up, there's a lot of speculation. Seth, you've got uh, you've talked to some folks in the paddock here and there. What's, uh, what's the popular word on the street? Uh, popular word has him going to Hendricks number five. Uh where that would leave Casey Kane, rumors have him ending up with uh, GMS Racing and their move up to the Cup Series, which has also been rumored, but is looking more and more likely as uh, the days and the weeks go by. Uh, but that also leaves the Furniture Row Racing 77 open with the sponsor because 
most people are saying five-hour energy, even though it's grandfathered in to the sport, may not be able to move away from that team because of the Monster Energy sponsorship of the sport. So that might be an open seat for a driver like Daryl Wallace Jr. It might be an open seat for a driver like Casey Kane, Matt Kenseth. Uh, There's a lot of different drivers who are going to be gunning for that ride, especially with how Truex keeps dominating. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other the other open seat, you know, that is really up for speculation is the 88. You know, exactly. the, the, you know a lot of people say the smart money is on Alex Bowman, um, which, I mean, Bowman filled in in that car. Uh, but with, uh, with a heavy hitter like Matt Kenseth available, uh, do you think that you think it hurts Bowman's chances? Uh, I don't know if it hurts Bowman's chances or not, because my understanding is he's doing a lot more testing. And I don't mean uh, testing outside NASCAR's rules. I mean testing inside the rules, doing all the tire tests, all the manufacturer tests. Uh, from my understanding, they may or may not have had him meet with the sponsor reps from Nationwide earlier this week. So if they're having him meet with sponsor reps... To me, that's pointing towards uh, him being in the seat. Now, are we looking for this announcement sooner rather than later, or do you think they're just going to sit on this till you know after we get into the playoffs or even even postseason? Because this, you know, we've known this seat is going to be available for quite some time, and lately uh, within NASCAR, anyway, we've seen seats announced as much as a year in advance. Like, we all knew Clint Boyer was going to be in the 14 well, uh, a year before it happened when he had another, you know, a season in between, and we've seen a couple of other um, seat changes just happen way in advance where nobody's you know, been afraid to announce it. So, I mean, uh, is there a stumbling block uh, towards this announcement, or, or is it just perhaps that uh, they're just really taking the time to make the best decision they can? I think it's a little bit of both. And the, the reason why I'm saying that is Rick Hendrick, the businessman that he is, he is going to take his time to make sure everything is as perfect as it can be. At the same time, with the rumors speculating about Casey Kane and about GMS racing, uh, that is all dependent on whether or not GMS ends up getting a charter, which all signs are pointing to the BK Racing 23 charter ending up bouncing through a couple teams before the season even ends and ending up with a team that would likely sell it to try to get money to basically improve themselves. So some of it might be based on what happens elsewhere before they even announce what happens there. Yeah, so, it's, all, it's all really interesting and, and intricate and complicated, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You know, and, and there's and these other silly season names floating around that, you know, Danica's going to be yeah. out of the 10. Um, Seth, you said uh, you, you'd heard some rumblings that uh, Amarola yeah. may be in the 10. Um, we do know um, Eric Amarola will be back at the track in New Hampshire this weekend, back in his familiar ride, the 43. He's now uh, recovered from his injuries and, and cleared to drive. So, uh, and, and that, that puts want- Bubba Wallace as a you know, free agent out there who's actually or, shown pretty well in the in the cup car. And I do actually want to make a mention of that. Uh, this is there was a rumbling that 
Bubba might end up in a second car for Petty. Although I have not heard anything more than simply the idea of it out there. And even if they were to do it, he could only run so many races before he would lose his eligibility to run for rookie of the year next year, should he run full time. This is true, so, yeah. And, and then again you have the whole So he would only have so you would only have maybe five races he could do. And then you've got the whole, you know, charter system with NASCAR, which means adding a second car is a little problematic. It's not as easy as just going ahead and pulling a spare out of the garage and, and get, a, you know, without the charter, you're not eligible for, you know, some of the, the bonus points and the bonus money, and you're not guaranteed a qualifying spot neither. So, um, right now, yes, but if you follow the mess that charters is right now, unfortunately, follow the mess. Least- I like that. Petty leased out their charter to the 32 team, who leased out their charter to the 15 team, and that is going to revert back to those teams next year because it's only a one-year lease that they're allowed to do. So either Petty will have to field a second car next year or sell that, that charter or lease out the charter of the 43 and shift the charter from the non-existent second car to the 43. <laughs> that's, you know, like I said, that's, like you said, that's a mess. So now, now Richard, uh, you work in NASCAR week in and week out. Um, anything you're hearing on your end about uh, uh, who might end up where next year, who we may not see next year? I mean, I think you, 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 you get one, one bucket full of car numbers and another bucket full of driver names and just pull, pull one and pull the other and put them together. Don't you? Um, it's, it's, you know, there's so many potential moves, uh, coming into next year that, um, yeah, I mean, you, you really don't know. Um, it, it's pretty amazing how, uh, uh, I thought what, what Matt Kenseth did to sort of, um, um, you know, sort of force Joe Gibbs his hand was, was an interesting move in a way. Um, you know, everybody knew that, uh, one of those drivers was was going to be out uh, at the end of the year and uh, you know who who was it going to be and uh, you know he sort of jumped before he was pushed in a way um, but yeah in terms of who's going to be where who knows um, you know some teams I think I think we're in the in the financial position that some teams just want to keep the doors open and they'll take whoever they can get behind the wheel right now Absolutely, yeah. But I think you know, it was a pretty crafty move on Kenseth Park, you know, just to, you know, that way folks can start thinking about, oh, you know, Kenseth is available, you know, before they go ahead and make plans, you know, at least he's, he's put his name on the job market. You know, I, I get the feeling that he's not ready to walk away just yet, although there are some of his contemporaries who started at about, about the same time as he did, uh, guys like uh, Dale Jr. and um, certainly uh, Biffle. And uh, Carl Edwards are all have kind of walked away from the sport. I think I think Biff, I mean, I Biff, think Biffle right was pu- that... pushed away a little more. But um, uh, you know, he's whoever takes Kenseth on, they got to realize it's it's not going to be a long term deal. You know, no. he's he's kind of That's... career's winding up, but but he's still he still has what it, has what it takes to win. I think I'm writing saying that if he right, drives full time next year, he'll be the only driver from the '90s still racing full time. Uh well his rookie season was two thousand. Okay. Okay. 
but, but he, he did, did compete in the 90s. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. And you could make the argument for Ryan Newman, too, because he was running a little bit of ARCA around that time as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, uh, so again, a complicated web of stuff and more to come on this uh, silly season as it uh, comes through. But uh, another big name in, in motorsports has become the focus of uh, silly season news, perhaps out of his ride, and that is... The winner of the Iowa Corn 300, Elio Castro Neves. Uh, uh, you know, it, Penske has uh, announced um, this week uh, their intent to run a uh, Acura program in the IMSA WeatherTech Series. Um, we do know that uh, you know Montoya has likely been pegged as one of those drivers, and the hot rumor is that uh, Castro Neves will be that other one as. Uh, Roger will scale down to three full-time full-time cars in uh, IndyCar, uh, with two extra entries available in the Indy 500 for Castro Nevis and Montoya. But um, uh, you know, it's a bit of a numbers game. You know, I, I think I believe it was Robin Miller wrote the article with the um, called uh, Castro Nevis the Odd Man Out, um, where it's just simple economics. But uh, right now, at this point, Elio has just won the race. He's been on fire this year um, in qualifying. He's uh, eight points behind Scott Dixon for the for the lead. Um, now, us as media have been shut down from asking um, Elio any questions about his future. Um, the uh, Penske PR people made that clear. Um, but at the same time, Elio kind of made a little comment. This is, you know, one thing that will make it difficult will be to win the championship. And, uh, Chris, I, you know, to – if Elio wins this thing and he's very capable of doing that, um, to deny him the chance to run that season with the number one and defend his title, um, Chris, what do you think? At this point, who wants to run the number one? The last okay, time so the driver won the number one after winning a championship and repeated with it was. I can't even remember, honestly. Uh. I don't know. A lot of guys choose not to run the number one. 1998 probably was Zanardi, I tell you. I think probably 98 was Zanardi. Yeah, I think Zanardi did run the one, yeah. But, but I mean, I you know, I don't say the number one as a, you know, a sticker on the car. I mean, as the run, as, as the number one defending champion. You know, you know what I'm saying here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to not allow him a chance to defend the title, uh, to run the season, the season as the, you know, as the, the – reigning champion um i mean how hard is the decision that going to be you know how how big an argument is that for castro nevis to say hey look give me one more year before you farm me out to sports cars i at this point though you have to wonder though does he still want to do it at this level for this long i mean granted you know years ago we had guys in their 50s running but is does Elio really think he has it left in his tank to keep running the way that he has been? I mean, I, I, I pointed it out in the uh, post-race press conference. This was his first win in 1,134 days. So, I mean, he's come close a couple of times, but let's face it. Does he want to keep going at this level? And at this point for a full season, I can – I don't fault him for not wanting to do it if he doesn't want to. Then again, yeah, but my if, my belief is that he wants to. You know, I don't I, know. I, the, I, you know, I don't know because Elio's 
talking like he wants to when he's enjoying himself just as much as ever. Um, but again, he's he's not allowed to talk uh, as much as we're not allowed to ask. But uh, my personal feeling is, is that he wants to do this, and and you know, moving over to sports cars is the last thing on his mind at this point. Now, truly, if it, if it's what he wants to do, now I've looked at Montoya this year, who really didn't want to get pushed out of his IndyCar seat, but but it happened. Uh, at the same time, I see that he's uh, spending all this quality time with his son Sebastian and is uh, getting his son's um, karting career off the ground. And, and I see a much more relaxed, uh, happier Montoya than I have in a while. So, uh, you know, maybe Elio's not looking at it this way yet, but uh, I don't know. One thing's for sure, though, I think he'll do well in sports cars if he does get farmed out. The real question, though, is. Is Pensy going to drop the three cars like some people are? Hello. I don't know uh, what that noise well, was, yeah. Well, one question is, is Pensy going to drop the three cars like some people are suggesting that he does? The other question is, let's say for the sake of argument, he stays with four cars. Who do you put in the fourth seat? Uh, you know, Rossi is the name I keep hearing. Multi-year deal with Andretti. Yep, I know, but well, I've, you know, deals need to be broken, and you know, somebody with Rogers money, you know, I've heard Rossi, Ro- I've, heard, for, uh, I've heard Rossi's name a couple. Th- yeah, I've heard Rossi's name. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. A couple times, but I've also heard that it's three cars. Three cars is, is, is the plan, and it has been the plan for a couple years. You know, Now, that depends on who you believe. Uh, that they that The expansion to four was just to get passionate with the team. That was only meant to be temporary. Um so you know, I, I think for for my money, I see three Penske cars on the IndyCar grid next year, safe for Indianapolis. But, mm, I, you know, I can see that happening. Uh, I think Roger was stretching himself really thin with running four cars, but I think that having run four cars for the last couple of seasons, it's always good to have another bullet in the chamber. Uh, you sound like Michael Andretti now. Yeah. That's Michael Only Mike, that's, that's Michael Andretti's won, talk. Yeah, more bullets in the gun. Michael's so. won three of the last four Indy 500s. I mean, am I really going to say that he's wrong? No, I'm not saying you're sound. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> you're saying you're wise. You're quoting Michael. So, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Right now, Castro Nevis doesn't want to talk about it. What he's focused on is winning this championship. And, uh, you know, look at the way he's driving this year. He's just as fast as any of those young guys. He's had some bad strategy calls here and there that have really taken races out of his hands that he could have won. I, I can think of four or five over the last two years. 
Um, but everything fell his way in Iowa. And, um, you know, uh, you know, Willie P took the pole. Uh, Elio was patient in the early going. And then he just took control of that race and, and brought it home. And, uh, Chris, you were there. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that Iowa race. You know, we had some, uh, uh, some really um, – really good runs from a couple guys you know elio for sure um hildebrand comes to mind having a great run as well but uh, what were some of your impressions of the the race out there in corn country well first and foremost i want to give a shout out to esteban gutierrez for actually keeping the thing off the fence the whole time uh he did a good job in my opinion uh he finished which some people weren't expecting him to do um he said he felt like he wasn't quick enough in the first quarter of the race but given Given the fact that he was able to run in traffic later on, I think he did just fine. Um, I also wanted to take to mention, of course, J.R. Hildebrand. He had an interesting weekend because he actually had an incident in the first practice session and um, where his car lost control and hit the wall with the back end of the car. And then his steering wheel came off and set a new altitude record for Iowa Speedway. So that was um, an interesting <laughs> clip. That's funny. Yeah. Now, I do think that had I think that Rossi got balked big time at um the later going of the race with Marco trying to get well getting passed by Alexander Rossi, but Rossi being lapped down trying to get past his teammate and having Hildebrand right behind him after a late strategy call. I mean, had Hildebrand gotten around him. He might have led for a few more laps, but I think that ultimately, in the end, Elio still would have won the race. He ended up leading 217 laps, which, another statistic, brought his overall lap leading total to 5,947, making him fourth on the all-time list ahead of Allenser Sr. Good for him, and also the 30th career win puts him ahead of his friend and mentor Rick Mears. On the all-time win list, so that's uh, you know passing the guys like like Mears on the all-time win list. That's that's not something to take lightly, you know. Um, big big weekend for Elio. Well, you know, funny you mentioned Elio moving up with a win to go to thirty all time. Just look at the list of the names around him: thirty-five win, thirty-six wins, Bourdais, thirty-five, Bobby Unser, thirty-four, Al Junior, Paul Tracy, Dario, and Will Power, thirty-one. So Will Power has one more win than Elio Castroneves, despite starting a lot fewer races in American Obubo competition. Pa- Elio with 30, Rick Mears 29, Rutherford 27, War- Roger Ward 26, Gordon Johncock 25. So that's five above and five below where Elio is right now. So now you know the company that he's in right now. Yeah, fantastic company, you know. So And he's uh, 20 years into this thing now. Um, I, I believe it was at uh, 97 he started with, uh, uh, God, what was, the, what was the team he started with? Um, old Bet- Bettenhausen team, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was Tony Bettenhausen's team in 97. I think he went to Hogan. And, uh... Yeah, one with Hogan before he uh, <coughs> picked up the Penske ride after Greg Moore perished. Yeah, that, that, <coughs> that ride was slated to go to Greg Moore. And then Greg lost his life on Halloween Day in 1999. None of us can ever forget that. And then Elio was pegged to go in that card, and he's been with Penske ever since. And, you know, there's some folks speculating that maybe if uh, the sports car thing comes to be that uh, Elio will actually step away from Penske and, and look for another full-time ride in IndyCar. But 
I, I don't see that happening. I think that, uh, uh, you know, that um, Elliott will retire as a Penske driver. I, I can't see him hopping to another team, no matter, you know, any any stretch of the imagination that I look at it. You know, he's been, he's been solid as a rock for that team for, you know, like we say, the better part of 20 years. Absolutely. And when you look at um, Elio's attitude, the way he carries himself, I mean, there's no reason he would ever, he's basically become Penske's golden boy, and you would never think that he would leave the organization. It's almost gotten to the point where it's like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of another, uh, like Jeff Gordon was at Hendrick, or Jimmy Johnson is now at Hendrick, where exactly, you can't yeah. imagine them anywhere else. Right, yeah, so, you know, so, but I, I, again, I, I'd see, my crystal ball tells me next year, Elio is uh, in the sports car program with Montoya, and those guys, uh, you know, do really well over there, and they both come back for the 500, so, you know, with, with that being said, um, we're on to um, Toronto next, a race that used to be a doubleheader, uh, and uh, who do you like for Toronto, Chris? Well, Toronto's interesting because <clears throat> I'm not sure if the pit, pit road is still the same configuration as last year or if it got changed back to the way it used to be because there was some construction where pit road had to be moved to the opposite side of the track. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if you know Power can get another win in Toronto. I mean, I, he, I know he first won there back in 2007, um, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do to try and help resurrect his championship chase or whether Elio can pull ahead of Dixon this coming weekend in Toronto. Um, I wonder also how Spencer Piggott will do because this is his first race since Detroit, since road America. He's, and he's only 12. Sorry, my phone's no, broken. No, um, it's not me. No, it's me. My phone's broken. Sorry. Oh, okay. All right. I know it's not me. So, anyway, so yeah, you're talking about Spencer Pickett back in the car after the uh, yes, after he'll be replacing the uh, races. Yes, he'll be replacing Ed Carpenter in the 20 car. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he's going to do. Uh, let's not forget that a couple of years ago, Ed Carpenter Racing did have a win um, at Toronto at Joseph Newgarden. Um, of course, I'm also looking forward to the Maserati Indy action at Toronto as well. There's the uh, Indy Lights and there's also USF 2000. And I'd like to touch on them from Iowa very briefly, if I could. Um, USF 2000 had their only oval race of the season. Oliver Askew won his sixth race of the year out of nine total. Renus VK was second. Calvin Ming was third. Calvin won the uh, Formula F4 championship in Mexico recently. And uh, Renus uh, was actually the first driver to actually commit to running the USF 17 last year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when the car was launched. He announced that he was going to be running in the U.S., um, for USI 2000, this will be a doubleheader this coming weekend, uh, slated to be with over 20 cars. Only 13 were at, uh, Iowa Speedway this past weekend. For Indy Lights, it'll also be a doubleheader as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to do really well there because last year it was a, a part-time driver in the series that swept it after, uh, Felix Rosenquist, I believe, is the driver that won both races. Uh, we could see the championship go topsy-turvy on us here, but then again, uh, anything can happen on the streets of Toronto. I mean, Zach Veach was going to finish, you know, top five last year, and could have started a good momentum run for the championship late last year, but unfortunately crashed out of one of the races. 
Um, it'll be great to see Parker Thompson in USF in his home country and Zachary Clayman DeMello in Indy Lights, uh, you know, two Canadians on the road to Indy, as well as Dalton Kellett in Indy Lights. He's also a Canadian. Uh, he's driving for Andretti Autosports. So let's see how they do in their home country. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be, you know, it'd be a great weekend. Of course, you know, the big star of the show down there in Toronto is going to be Mr. James Hinchcliffe, um, who was, uh, you know, born and raised in Oakville, you know, about, uh, you know, just a stone throw south of Toronto. So uh, he's going to be pleased as punch to be in Toronto. Um, fans will be looking forward to seeing him. I mean, he, he won in the streets of Long Beach, with, which is it requires a similar sort of setup Um to Toronto, um, Hinchcliffe since Long Beach has not been spectacular. He hadn't been horrible, but uh, you know, it could be a good place for him to shine. You know, I know he hit the podium there a couple, you know, uh, a couple years back. Uh, he'd love to take a win there, but uh, you know, as I look at the remaining schedule and think about the championship, you've got right now the, the championship leaders are Dixon and Castro Nevis. Uh, if you look at the remaining schedule, Dixon has won on every track left on the schedule except for gateway um castro nevis has won in toronto uh he's won at gateway he's won at sonoma and he's uh, trying to what's that and he's castro nevis win of the glen or not uh, I'm not uh, sure I find that out quickly. Sure, yeah, fine. But but I think I don't I don't think he did. But of course, Dixon's won at the Glen. But uh, the both you know the both of those drivers in the thick of the hunt um, have pretty good records on these these tracks left, and so does uh, Mr. Will Power, who's right back there behind him. So this is going to be a title fight um, for the ages coming up. I really believe it is because uh, even though Dixon's kind of led the thing all year long. Uh, nobody has really jumped out and been the dominant driver like we saw with Simon last year or like we saw with Will in 2014. So uh, I think this is anybody's thing, <laughs> anybody's uh, thing to grab before the, you know, before the season's out. And you see I say, and, I say out instead of out since we're heading to Toronto. And I just did a quick search, by the way. Uh, Elio has not won at Watkins Glen. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. So, but uh, of course, you know, Gateway's coming up. Elio's the only driver in the field to have won a Gateway. Uh, mind you, you know that so many years ago in a very different car is not going to translate to anything he can use uh, coming up. But I did hear Gateway went ahead and repaved the track, or they're going to repave the track before IndyCar arrives there um, next month. So that'll be interesting to see as well. So, Seth. And Richard, you guys care to pick a winner for Toronto? Um, you don't have to. I'll pick Dixon. Okay. And and Richard? Hmm. I'm gonna pick Rossi. Rossi. Okay. Good pick. Now, Chris, you threw a couple names out there, but you didn't make an official pick, so you get one. I'll do a uh, power this time. Okay, and I'll go. Elio. So that'll be no our one picks. Hinch. No, but uh, you know, if they did, he'd be the hero of Canada. We'll give him to Greg. <laughs> we'll give him to Greg. <laughs> Greg can have Hinch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good plan. Good plan. All right, guys. Let's move on to um, uh, quite a bit farther south um, from Toronto. Let's uh, let's talk about the Kentucky Speedway. Um, I was at the race this weekend. I had a good time. Um, uh, we had a good 
good crowd too. You know, a lot of these, uh, some of these NASCAR tracks, the attendance has really been kind of faltering. Now, Kentucky was not a sellout by any stretch of the imagination, but they they had a really good crowd on hand compared to some of the um, some of the ones we've seen. You know, such as your Bristol that looks empty, or your um, uh, Richmond that looks empty, but a pretty good crowd on hand at Kentucky uh, to see Martin Truex uh, dominate the race. Um, you know, we could talk about Truex, but not much to say other than whenever this guy wins, he dominates. You know, but uh, what I really want to talk about was Kyle Larson, who uh, mm. I kept my eye on um, since he started dead last, and by the end of 80 laps, which was the end of stage one, he was uh, third, uh, did the round of pit stops, got a speeding penalty, dropped all the way to the back again. By the end of the race, he finished second. He, and he and, passed ninety cars. Exactly. Yeah, race. he was he was a thrill to watch. He was very fun to watch. Um, of well, course, he did all that in an illegal car. Well, yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. Well, so, so the news came out today. Yeah. yeah, he had a bit of a penalty. Was it a cooling system? A yeah, improperly. Right. It was an improper rear. Uh, Either rear brake or rear gear cooling. I have the uh, official ruling up here. Hang on, let me. Uh, I'll just uh, let me read it out to you. The exact uh, ruling that he got uh, caught up on. It said, "Bear with me." It says ductwork or other devices are not allowed to pass from one area of the interior of the vehicle to another or to the outside of the vehicle. So basically, what they're trying to do is bleed air from the inside of the vehicle, outside of the vehicle, and change air pressure inside of the vehicle, which has a huge impact on downforce and you know every team has loose bodywork and screws that maybe aren't quite so tight as they should be to enable that but i guess in this instance they've gone a, a little bit too far and have made it pretty obvious what and, they're trying to do so, so what so what you're saying richard is this this definitely gave him a performance advantage oh there's no doubt about okay, it okay I mean, all right you know these teams you know rcr and and all the major teams spend hours in the wind tunnel uh working on things like this and um you know nascar in its history has the uh you know the concept of the uh, massaging the rules and trying to push it uh, you know as far as possible and um you know th- this area is no different to to any of the others um, and in some ways it's actually easier for them to to achieve a i don't want to use the word unfair advantage but an undetected advantage because you know, aerodynamics are very difficult to see when the car's um, going through tech and going through inspection. You, you know, a lot of these body panels and body parts move under uh, aer- aerodynamic load. So when you're rolling it around the garage, you can't see how the bodywork deflects and how things move. Um, and I, th- I guess they've just pushed it a little bit too far. And they got caught, so which is going to yeah. cost him, I believe, about thirty-five points. Uh, which is going to drop thirty-five up, points. And it's uh, going to drop into second in the point standings. Which, 34 behind Truex. Right, but, I mean, he's still guaranteed a spot in the playoffs, so, uh, yes. you know, he's not, uh, he's not losing big. He also, he also loses his crew chief, Chad Johnston, for three races. And speaking of losing a crew chief, didn't and, Kyle, didn't Kyle Busch and, get another lug nut penalty coming out of yes, Kentucky? But it was but loose, not only missing. a fine this time because yeah. it was only loose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, it seemed like every every week after the race, there's problems with Kyle Busch's nuts, you know. Uh, so, which, hey, which, which maybe but, explain uh, why he haven't won a race lately. I don't know. But uh, you know, Kyle was. I was watching Kyle too. He was. He was pretty solid in the early going. 
Um, he kind of laid back in the, but but on that last restart, he just dropped like a rock from second to fifth. You know. But I will say this, as far as the points uh, lead is concerned, uh, this gives Truex an advantage over the next eight races going into the playoffs. If he wins the regular season points, he gets, I believe it's an extra 15 playoff points. It's either 10 or 15. I forget what the number is. But that will, with the sheer number he has, I think he's only... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We won with over 20 playoff points now. Uh, he is almost guaranteed to be at least through the third round of the, of the playoffs, if not Homestead. Right. And he's. they said that Truex is also the only guy to have won all three stages of a race, and he's done it yeah, twice three, now. Twice, twice or three times. I'll, uh, uh, twice now, although Christopher Bell did do it in the truck series as well. Okay. Otherwise, no other driver has swept all three stages. All right, well, good for Mark. You know, and he's like, uh, he was, um, he made it all the way to the finals last year, and he's, um, you know, he's going to enter this, uh, this. I want to say chase, but it's called playoffs now. Um, he's going to enter, enter as the favorite if, if he keeps it up, you know. So, and you know, I've heard his name a little bit here with the silly season stuff here and there. Um, but I mean, he'd be nuts to go anywhere. I mean, just that that team uh, with him and the driver, they mesh so uh, well. And when they are on, they are on, and they destroy the competition. Uh, he is staying with the Furniture Racing. Barney Visser actually said that uh, after the Eric Jones news came out. He said Martin is there for, I think he said, three to four or four years to come. They have him locked down there. So, uh, I would not be surprised to see that 78 continue to dominate in, in the coming years in, uh, at least on, uh, one and a half mile tracks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we have, uh, New Hampshire next up on the slate, right? Am I correct? Correct. And, cool. um, I would said, uh, Eric Amarola is going to be back behind the wheel of the 43, um, correct. after being out about a month, about a month he was out. So. Um, so, uh, Richard, um, what are your thoughts on New Hampshire? It's it's a bit different than some of the uh, tracks, um, you know, some of the traditional mile-and-a-half ovals that we're used to. It's, uh, um, New Hampshire is a mile. It's rather flat. It's rather kind of paperclip-shaped. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's these subtle um, variances that you see uh, – you know, within within NASCAR, everybody thinks, oh, you know, it's just going around, around in circles. Um, but you know, it, it does throw a quite a quite a unique challenge up there. It, it's almost almost sort of road course esque in the way you have to drive. Uh, you, you you're relying a lot more on, on driver braking and driver input on the entry to the corner than you typically see on a on front of a better word a normal banked oval where. The driver can lean on the car a little bit and and have the car you know turn in through the banking and get the, the what we call the skew of the car to 
almost rotate itself. You know, this is a lot more driver input and driver control. So it puts a lot more emphasis on, uh, you know, the steering input and you know, braking control. So you, you you may see the, you know the guys like your AJ Allmendingers do a little bit uh, uh, better here than than maybe in the past, and um, also uh, guys like uh, Michael McDowell, um, who you know is a excuse me very good um, uh, road racer. Uh, we saw that at um, Sonoma. And uh, I, I'm not going to claim this, but I've just seen a message coming that they're, they're adding the um, the sort of sticky sticky surface to uh, the track, similar to what they did in to um, the mill groove. Yeah, they, they did it to Bristol, and where else did they do it earlier uh, in the year? They did it to Bristol. They did it to the High Lane of Charlotte. That was it. Yeah, and so, they're doing it to the middle groove of New Hampshire. Okay. Although uh, I'm going to quote Dale Jr. is. Uh, Tell me where the mill groove is because drivers even use the apron there. So the mill groove to one driver might be the bottom lane to another. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, New Hampshire is, you know, because I I kind of tend to like the flatter tracks, you know. um, Yeah. Because there's a little more driver skill in the high banks, you know, like your Martinsville, I like, Pocono, I like, um, just just, just because they're flatter and, and, you know, the fact that they're you know, like New Hampshire is like a, a bigger Martinsville. You're hard on the brakes, you know. Um, speaking of which, you know, I, at, at Kentucky, I was surprised how much those guys were on the brakes um, coming out of three and into four, you know, with the, with the way they reconfigured it last year. I, mean, I didn't go to that race last year, but I went this year, and those guys were those guys were on the brakes a lot um, in three and four. See, sometimes it depends how they have the car set up, and it, and it varies from team to team, but... On a on a track like New Hampshire, you you'll purely use your your braking system for for slowing on entry. Whereas at some of the mile and a halfs, so you can actually use your the brakes to help turn the car. So what some teams will do is instead of having in most racing series, you have forward to rear brake bias, so you can adjust the amount of if you when the driver puts his foot on the pedal you may get sixty percent of the braking at the front and forty percent at the rear or whatever a driver's preference is um you'll actually split it left and right so you'll have the the left side braking more than the right to help turn the car on entry that's very interesting thank you for that richard so that could be what you're seeing a little bit of that they're actually using it to help the back end turn rotate the car through the corner it could very well be yeah so so anyway so but yeah you're right when you saw them you know, especially during the pit stops, the amount of um, you know brake dust that was coming off was was quite noticeable. Right. Yeah, and I, and I noticed them. You know, I noticed that the brakes firing up. You know, coming right right out of four. You know, on on the track, so you know the rotors lighting yeah. up and they were hard on us. So interesting, very interesting. So, so um, Seth, um, let's make our picks for New Hampshire, and I want. Give you a little time to talk about where you spent your weekend. I know Chris was in Iowa, I was in Kentucky, uh, but you were at uh, uh, Tri County Speedway, and then you were at Charlotte, um, watched some some uh, some of the lower levels of racing. So we'll let's get into that. But first, let's go ahead around the table and make some picks for New Hampshire. Uh, who wants to go first, Chris? I'll do um, Mr. Burnout Baby Gender Reveal, Joey Logano. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds good. 
Yeah, speaking of baby news, Kevin Harvick announced he's expecting a second one, too. I read that uh, the other day. Yeah, so I want to say uh, Tyler was expecting their first. Uh, Logano's expecting their first. And the Harvicks are expecting their second. Right. Right, so Seth, who do you like for New Hampshire? Kozlowski. Kozlowski for New Hampshire. Okay, good. Yeah, he needs a good weekend. And you know what? We could talk about Kozlowski's comments about how NASCAR needs to redesign the car after Kentucky. Did you guys catch that little news story? Yeah. He made the comments and then retracted them pretty quickly. Um, uh, preaching to the choir, IMO. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he basically was complaining that uh, it's either too hard to pass or whenever you try to make a pass, the car is just going to break loose and spin and wreck. Um, although I will say this. Uh, somewhat quickly after that and a little bit before that, NBC uh, Sports was hinting at a either the reveal or the introduction of a Gen 7 car in the next two to four years. So, uh, right I now, feel- they're using the Gen 6, so... Yeah. I'd like what? to think those are two unrelated circumstances, but, I, but, but who, who knows? I was you know it's what? coincidental. It's coincidental. You know. In all fairness, Kozlowski was making those comments after just hitting a wall. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was, he, he retracted it pretty quickly, yeah. Uh, but damn, the, the higher-ups in NASCAR from just uh, laying him out. So so anyway, so Seth, you're, you like uh, Kozlowski for New Hampshire. Richard, who you like for New Hampshire? Uh, let's go with the 18, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch? He's got to win one. You're absolutely right, yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the 48. Um just because Jimmy can win just about anywhere and why not New Hampshire. So, But Jimmy never comes back well after a re- uh, DNF. There was some, I remember recently when he had a wreck and then came back, there's some statistic that the weekend after a wreck, he hasn't finished in the top 10 for so many years or some crazy statistic like that. Okay, well, that, that could be. I'm going to stick with my pick anyway, though. So, there you go. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, Jimmy is streaky, though, like that. He'll he'll have he'll have a, a run of just real bad luck, um, and then win three four in a row. So, but uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see how it goes. So uh, now, Seth, talk to me about uh, uh, your weekend, um, the racetracks you were at, uh, some of those grassroots uh, uh, series that you watched. Well, I was on Saturday. I went to Tri County Speedway for the Cars Tour. Uh, they ran the Do the Do two hundred. It was two. 100 lap races, uh, one super late model, one late model stock. Uh, in super late models, Matt Craig dominated the race. Uh, he started second. He led 98 of the 100 laps. Uh, Brandon Setzer finished second, and Jake Crum finished third, I want to say. Uh, I don't actually have the results of that race in front of me. But in late model stocks, it was a thrilling finish. They had a green-white checkered after uh, a wreck on the white flag lap in turn four. Uh, Garrett Campbell uh, was leading at the time. And in a three-wide up-the-middle pass for the win, Josh Berry, who drives for Junior Motorsports, snatched the win away from Campbell uh, by just under... A tenth of a second. He won by zero point zero seven six seconds. Uh, 
So it was an exciting finish in that series. And then last night, and we're recording on Wednesday, so last night, Tuesday night, uh, I spent the night at Charlotte Moore Speedway. We're on the Legends Oval, the small quarter mile on the front stretch. Uh, the Bojangles Summer Shootout Series was running. Seven classes of cars. Uh, you have beginner bandits, uh, bandolero bandits, and bandolero outlaws. Then you have Young Lions Legends. You have Semi-Pro, Pro, and Masters. Specifically, the one I'm going to focus on is the uh, Semi-Pro. Last week, Garrett Mains uh, barreled after getting caught up in a multi-car crash ended his night more than likely was going to end his season, except last week they had an autograph session because it was uh, July 4th weekend. They had all the drivers come out and sign autographs. He was the only one sitting there without his car and some fans noticed, and they started a crowdfunding campaign. Not only did they raise enough money to buy him a new legends car, which I want to say cost about $13,000 alone, they also bought him a brand new engine, and last night he took the lead on lap four and led the next 21 laps in route to victory. Uh, he's a 14-year-old kid. Uh, primary sponsors are Sweet Frog and Autism Speaks. He does. Uh, he is on the autism spectrum, but it was an emotional night for him and for his family. Uh, it was his first win, and. To go out and win after basically devastation and destruction and seeing what basically was your season and possibly a couple seasons to come, uh, come to an end because they were over budget by $3,000 and the the, uh, fans and Facebook raised enough money not only to cover that, but a new car, a new engine, new tires, the whole nine yards. That's a pretty incredible story, yeah. You know, just the the power of the crowdfunding and just, uh, you know, that there's that many fans that uh, that watch and enjoy and support, uh, you know, the, those little guys in racing, you know. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen the Bandoleros and I've seen the um, the Bandits in action, and that's that's pretty neat stuff to watch, man. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a couple steps up from go-kart racing. I mean, they run that little oval that's within the tri-oval at Charlotte, and those, those guys beat and bang. And um, you want to talk about some racers that are hungry, you know, watch, watch them young guys in the, in the Bandoleros. Exactly. Uh, not last night. They weren't there. I think they were racing elsewhere. But I know Travis Quapple's uh, son's race regularly in the series. You had ARCA regular Gus Dean racing in the Pro Series. Uh, you have uh, Austin Green, the son of David Green, competing. Uh, Josh Berry was actually there spotting uh, one of the competitors in uh, the uh, Pro Series, Dawson Cram. Uh, so you have a lot of kids racing. Some may be a future star at some point. Some are just doing it for fun. But it is a interesting series, and if you ever have the chance, go check it out. They run at Charlotte on Tuesdays. They run at Atlanta on Thursdays. I know they also run at Iowa, Kentucky, Texas, and a few other tracks. Yeah, it's always a day to see that, you know, that those grassroots are racing, you know, and, and, and you might be watching the next Dale Earnhardt Jr. out there or the next Jimmy Johnson. You just don't know. You know, I remember when I used to, when I lived in Wisconsin years ago, 
um, there was this young kid driving, um, and somebody said, you got to watch out for this guy. He's going to be the next. He's going to be the next big thing in NASCAR. You just watch this guy, right? You know who that was? Matt Kenseth. Mm-hmm. Yep, watch about the local track at Kakana. Um, you know, and we're talking, this is 1994 or 5, you know, and he's just a few few steps below the rung. But, you know, and now and now we're talking about the end of his career. So, uh, but, yeah, just to see those guys, you know, early on, because you never know who the next big star is going to be. So, um, speaking of which, so we need to move on. We need to save some time to talk about Formula One and the race in Austria at the Red Bull Ring. Uh, Valtteri Boltas pretty much dominated the race there. Um, he was uh, joined on a podium by Sebastian Vettel. Uh, great drive by uh, Daniel Ricciardo to take the third spot. Lou Podium uh, in fourth. You know, it's not often we see Lewis off the podium uh, when his car is still running. But um, a little controversy that Boltas may have jumped the start. Um, the FIA took no action, although a lot of folks were quick to bring that up. Richard, did you get a chance to see the start of Austria? I certainly did. I mean, I, I think Valtteri, to a certain extent, uh, you know, alluded to it in um, the press conference. You know, there is a certain amount of premeditation to these starts, and you do try, these drivers do try to almost judge. I don't know how. I mean, I can't quite see how it's possible on a random time to judge when the lights are going to go out. And to a certain extent, he did say, I got lucky. Um, you know, he was right on the number. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to take your hat off to him. It, you know, the reaction time was 0.201 of a second. And I think um, I think the limit, I think, is 0.15. But Austria, because it's an uphill start line, uh, you do tend to see a slight delay in the movement of the car anyway. Um, so that probably sort of magnified the situation. Um, you'd have to look at what your average start time is at other tracks and other, compare those uh, the the differences between um, uh, Austria and you know a, a normal circuit, for want of a better word. But uh, I th- to my mind, it was a perfect start. I thought it was too. I mean, and, and if if he jumped it, it was so minuscule it didn't give him an advantage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at the end of the day, the F, the FAA have these timing regulations for a reason, and to a greater extent, if he's within those timing regulations, then I I, I don't know what the other drivers are complaining about. Really, um, you know, they then need to take it up with um, you know Charlie Whiting and the FAA and say. You know, your timings are wrong. Well, there's been enough research by, you know, military organizations and governments all over the world on human reaction times. And, you know, Formula One's no different. Uh, these guys' reaction times are pretty, pretty damn impressive. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think he jumped the start. I think he, uh, I think he got it right in the sweet spot there. Yeah, I think he did. So, um, now, Chris, you get a chance to watch Austria? The last four laps, um, because of uh, Joey and myself's. Uh, very, very rough Saturday at Iowa and very, very long day. Uh, we were originally going to wake up for the start of the race, but uh, we both slept right through our alarms, and we were thankfully able to wake up for the last uh, four laps of the race. And, uh, yeah, Ricardo was on fire there at the end, man. We were yeah. glad to see Ricardo get on the podium. It's always interesting when he's on there. Yeah, well, unless you just dislike drinking stuff out of a shoe. But <laughs> so, but uh, good day for Haas F1 though. 
you know, uh, Grosjean said, hey, they were the winner for Grand Prix Class 2, you know, after they beat Force India to, to grab them some points. Uh, I want to say um, Grosjean's got, uh, what, uh, 14 points on the season now, which uh pretty close to equaling their, their, their thing from last year, getting there. Um, yeah, there was one, I, I can't remember, I'm going to, without putting words into people's mouths, uh, a, a driver, current driver, I'm potentially going to say it was uh, Lewis Hamilton again, actually says that you know Haas are actually underachieving, um, being a um, uh, you know basically a Ferrari feeder team with all the support that Ferrari give out. That uh, Lewis's comments were that Haas should be um, you know scoring points on a more, more regular basis, given the uh, um, you know the the, t- the tight links that they have. Um, between the two teams. I can't remember who it was now. Yeah, probably. Well, Lewis is usually the first to throw stones, you know. You know, he, he, he had more disparaging things to say about IndyCar this weekend that I saw somebody post. I'm like, ah, it's just, just Lewis being Lewis. But, uh, you know, I, I think maybe he just pissed. He shut off the podium. So, But speaking of Ferrari and Ferrari customer teams, right, there's um, – so we know Sauber was lined up to align with Honda next year, and now it looks like that deal may or may not have fallen through, or it may be in danger of falling through, uh, that Sauber may not align with Honda next year. And then another story I read that came out that, um, that McLaren may indeed be trying to align themselves with Ferrari to be another Ferrari customer team. And dump under there. So, uh, you know, if uh, if McLaren walks away from Honda and Sauber walks away from Honda, where does that leave Honda? <laughs> you know, um, I, very quickly, it was actually Carlos Science that made those comments. So I apologize to Lewis there. I'm sure he's listening. Um, but uh, Honda, there's been rumors of Honda joining up with Williams. Um, I believe the Williams contract with Mercedes is up at the end of this year. Um, it it wouldn't be a surprise. Some, it depends if Honda stick at it. I think the fundamental concept is if Honda stick at it and are in it for the long term, they will succeed. Um, you know, I, I think they're they're at the moment they are guilty of just sort of you know can't do anything you know can't do anything right for doing wrong at the moment. They're um, they just keep tripping over themselves. They almost need to sort of almost take a year away sort their engines out, and then come back in. Um, I don't know how that would work within the structure of what they're trying to do. But I, I think that there's a lot to be said for a strategy on that point, just to sort of wipe the slate clean, realize they are completely off the radar right now uh, when it comes to where they need to be for 2017. But it's not just that they're not... Sorry, it's, it's just not they're not powerful enough. Not being powerful enough, you can fix that. You know, you can. It's just the thing's breaking every five minutes, and you can't get any evaluation on you know track time and data and dyno running because the thing keeps blowing up. Uh, and then when you do run, it's so badly detuned just to get reliability that again you're not getting any valuable data from it. So I, I think they're in a mess, and I believe that fundamentally, if you are a customer team in Formula 1 you will not win a championship that's been my belief for a long long time now and that, well, that's, um, that's been I, proven year and year 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you're I, out, yeah. You know, I, I firmly believe that um, the Mercedes customer teams will never win a championship. So that's why I don't think McLaren want to go to back to Mercedes because Mercedes will not want McLaren taking points away from them. Um, same with Ferrari. I, I cannot understand why. For, I mean, there's obviously the financial return on it for sure, but I don't understand what is in it for Ferrari. Um, you know, that's why. I mean, I go back to when I was working for Williams F1 team and we had the Mercedes deal. Um, I think it was, I'm going to say 2014. I think it was actually Austria where we got first and we we qualified first and second and I believe there was something along the lines of we were given the morning of the race a new um, uh, sort of engine mapping that was apparently due to overheating and it sort of detuned the engine slightly Um, and that is what a manufacturer will do they will not want a rival team to succeed Um, I I think that as hard as it is for McLaren right now, they almost have to stick with Honda. Because at some point, Honda will come good if they're in it for the long run. And who else do they go to? Um, I, I struggle to see where it'll end up. You know, you, you see what Red Bull have done with Renault. I mean, that's been a, a very um, you know, tumultuous relationship over the last few years. And, um, you know, it's slowly getting better as Renault have got more on you know, more, more up to speed with it. But again, you've got the situation there with at some point, you know, the, the Enston team, the Renault team at Enston, because you, the way Christian Horner speaks, you almost would imagine that Red Bull is the, is the um, uh, factory outfit for Renault, but they're not. It's the Renault team are the, 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 the Renault factory outfit. So at some point, as Renault invests and improves and I dare say get two drivers that will compete rather than one they've got at the moment, moment um you know they'll start to push back on red bull a little bit and not want red bull to take points away from them so the the concept of a customer engine deal in formula one and being successful in formula one is a very very difficult thing oh absolutely yeah and and yeah to your point about the renault and and you know and red bull uh, they don't even the engine is not even badges a renault you know they they call no. it the, ta- the tag engine your tag engine you know so um, which you know, is not unprecedented in motorsports, but we all know what's a Renault. But uh, to your point, yeah, once that uh, once the Renault gets their chassis program together and their driver lineup straight, yeah, they're not going to want they're not going to want to play second fiddle to Red Bull. And speaking of Renault's drivers, I saw that uh, Robert Kubica was back yeah. with the team uh, in the simulator for the 2017 car. So. Uh, yeah. Well, he did a day's testing at Paul Ricard today. Right, right, but he was uh, in, in, in a, France. He did in the similar... ninety laps, I think it was. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think there may be a real possibility they may want to get Robert back in this car. I remember we talked yeah. about a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, Robert said is he looked like he was eighty, eighty to ninety percent sure that he'd be back in a car, and a lot of the world kind of scoffed at him and said, "Yeah, I, we don't think so." But, uh, but, but, but here he is, you know, back with the yeah. team again. So, um, gosh, I'd love to see that guy back in a car. Oh yeah, I mean, and in Formula One, 
if you're 80 or 90% certain you're going to be in a car next year, you've got something lined up. <laughs> yeah, you've got something lined up, yeah. You know, 90%, I don't think there's many drivers on the on the grid that could say 80 or 90% that they're going to be, they've got a drive for next year. <laughs> yeah, some guys well, aren't aren't 89% that they've got to drive next week. <laughs> you know, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're on to um, the British Grand Prix. Um, they yep. held a big event in London today, pre-Grand Prix festivity, and I, somebody skipped it. Who was it? Oh, Lewis Hamilton, the British guy. <laughs> Took a little bit of bad press for that, but, uh, you know, Lewis had to do what he had to do. But uh, anyway, it looked like it, looked like it was a, a really good time out there uh, in London for those folks. So, but we're... It's come at an interesting time because the, um, the British Racing Drivers Club, or the BRDC, that own Silverstone, have actually... Um, activated a break in their contract, which means on the current schedule, the final race at Silverstone will be 2019. Right. That's the right. reason they've done that is their existing contract has a 5% uh, increase in running co- or cost or, or fee they have to pay to the Formula One management group or the owners, Liberty as they are now, every year. So at the moment, it's sort of £17 million. It's going to be £24, million, £25 million by the time that they um, uh, by the time they come to terminate this contract. So they're, they're saying that their income's not going up every year, but their expenditures are going up in the sort of million-pound range. Right. And so, the same, as a matter of fact, they said that they, they're losing money every year. Yes. The know, last, so, so, they, they're, so they're being asked to throw 5% more money at a losing Correct. thing to begin with so yeah it, i think two years ago they lost 2.4 um, around 2 million last year they lost around 4 million pounds um now silverstone is one of the circuits that is used pretty much 365 days of the year uh i used to live quite near it and i can tell you that it's used pretty much every day of the year um which is, is great for the venue but there are huge running costs and as most racetracks they only really make money on their, you know, the high end, the Formula One, the IndyCar, the NASCAR, the MotoGP events, whatever it may be. They won't make money on the club racing and, the, you know, all the, the smaller things that run throughout the year. So, you know, for years now, there's always been, you know, muted this idea of having a London Grand Prix. Um, and, you know, it, it's almost a... a a bad time for, for Silverstone to announce that they're taking a break in their contract. And the reason they're taking the break is with the aim to renegotiate. Um, they don't want to lose the race, but they want a better financial deal under the new ownership, which I think a lot of tracks will try and do. But Yeah, I mean, it, 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 make, it makes a lot of sense to try to... Of course it does. Because um, it's a losing proposition for them right now. Yeah. But, but if they, you know, I, I know Silverstone would hate to lose... The Grand Prix after you know fifty years, you know the fifty years. Oh yeah, there. So yeah, yeah. Um, but now you know they've made this announcement, and then you know London has this exhibition today, which similar to something they ran in the early two thousands. Um, you know, you'd you'd love to see. You know, I'd I'd love to see anyway. You know, Formula One cars blasting down the mile and blasting around Buckingham Palace and uh, outside Westminster and uh, Big Ben and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, you'd also you would hate to lose Silverstone because it is a it's a fantastic racetrack and you know that along with you know your Spa, your Suzuka, it's one of the last 
true race trucks that really test every aspect of the car. You know, it tests the engine and it tests the aerodynamics more so than potentially any other track. Maybe Suzuka is the only one that is such um, aero intensive circuit. You know, you go through the Maggots and Beckett's complexes there and, um, you know, you, you've got some of the heavy braking zones and, you know, they've changed the circuit a little bit over the last few years, which I wasn't really a big fan of. Uh, you lost the uh, Abbey Chicane and the Bridge Corner. The Bridge was a fantastic corner, but, um, you know, I think the new layouts really helped it. The new setup um, pit lane is is out of this world. It's an amazing, uh, amazing setup. And you really would hate to see it. But, you know, this is the way politics works, and it'll be interesting. This could set a precedent for how Liberty want to work and how they envisage Formula One going forward. Yeah, I mean, you could say the ball is in Liberty's court right now. You know, they're they're either gonna they're either gonna do this right, or they're gonna flub it horrendously. You know, so yes. but, you know, but time will tell on that one. So, so Richard, with that being said, we are against the clock here. Um, let let's talk about uh, who you're picking for a winner for Silverstone. I think it's gonna be Lewis this weekend. Lewis this weekend, Christopher. Who do you like? Um, I'll do Vettel. All right, Seth? Raikkonen. Okay, and I say Valtteri um, goes back-to-back. Um, so we're at, we are, like I said, up against the clock. We're in our what uh, we call the green-white checker. I want to go right around the table with everybody's final thought. I'm going to start with you, Christopher DeHarty. Your final thought for the week before we uh, retire for the evening. Kyle Larson was fined $75,000, right? Something yes. like that, yep. Wonder how many t-shirts they have to sell to cover that money. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, but his his merchandise was going pretty well at Kentucky. I tell you, I uh, I came home with the Kyle Larson diecast. I hope you saved me a towel, all right? Yeah, you want a Quaker State towel? Yeah, I got I got a bag full of them. <laughs> Sweet, awesome, thank you. That's my final thought. Thanks, y'all. All right, Seth, you get a final thought for the night. Uh, NASCAR announced a rule change for the truck series at Daytona and Talladega. Uh, they added five, as they're calling, bed flaps to the truck bed, uh, the deck lid, or basically the rear end of the trucks, to try to decrease the odds of a truck going airborne like Matt Crafton earlier in the year in the season opener. All right, man. Good on NASCAR for trying to make make the race and safer. Um, you know, I, we can never put too much emphasis on safety innovations and uh, just putting the effort into doing that. So, uh, good report, Seth. Um, Richard, your last thought for the night? Um, just, you know, something we've touched on earlier today. In, in every form of motor series, every um, major motor series that we discussed, you know, the silly season, it's it's great in a way. It's, you know, it's almost like, you know, you expect to see the Kardashians coming up in there somewhere with uh, in one of the reality shows um it's brilliant it the politics the maneuvering how drivers interact with teams and now of course with social media and um you know all that it's you know the fans can engage in sort of those um negotiations far more it's great i i love it i think it's uh I think it's great fun to see how, you know, drivers, um, you know, Matt Kenseth is the prime example, how he's sort of trying to manipulate the situation a little bit. I bet all the uh, PR people at uh, Joe Gibbs were loving that when they heard that comment. <laughs> I bet they were, yeah. So, 
so my final thought for the night, you know, I just say I love this time of year, um, you know, July, August, when, you know, we got uh, a lot of weekends where all three uh, major series are running. I mean, the, you know, we, they all ran last week. Uh, we're all running again next week. Um, you know, you can never have too much racing to watch. Um, and, and this is just the best time, just the best time of the year. So, uh, but with that being said, uh, guys, I've enjoyed talking to y'all, Richard, Christopher, Seth, um, and Gray. We are thinking about you, my friend, um, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, thank you to the Hoobazoo Radio Network for hosting us. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll talk to y'all in a week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.